All right, weekends episode 12. The haters doubted that we'd get to 12, but we're at 12. We are nine away from the 1% mark, 21 episodes, and you're in the top 1%. What do we got for 12? Who are the classic 12s? We got to get somebody special for, for 21, which will be, you know, Deion Sanders. That's a dope number. 21 buddy, but Savage. 12 is kind of like, a, for me, sort of like a nostalgic childhood number because some of my favorite, like my favorite baseball player growing up, Roberto Alomar, he's literally just like he had my name. And so I thought that was Hell super yeah. cool. And I became like a cult follower of his. And then he got HIV and spit on an umpire's face. But he was 12. Uh, I lived in like the we D.C. All have area. Downs. Before the Nationals, like the Orioles were the home team. And so like Roberto Alomar was my guy. Um, John Stockton, got a got a shout out to NBA all-time assistant steals le- uh, leader. And uh, I'm usually good at this, but 12, nothing else comes to mind. But those two uh, throwbacks. Uh, so I got an Alomar jersey in here somewhere. Did Roberto Alomar, he played for the Indians, right, at the beginning. That was like his first team. I think it was Padres, Indians, Orioles. Or no, Padres, Blue Jays, Orioles, Indians. Or Indians, Orioles. I forget the the exact. Um, yeah. But yeah, dude, I used to know everything about him. Like, I would like study him. And then like even more OG Roberto Clemente. Then I found out like one of the greats had my name. And that's how I actually got into baseball. Just because I was like, whoa, famous athletes have my name. Um and then That's I, I became like a cult fan of Alomar, bro. I would watch like 50 Orioles games a year. So I'm from I'm from Cleveland, so, and we had season mm. tickets to the Indians like my whole life. My dad is like a huge Indians fan. And Tommy so, Omar Vizquel, that was a dude. Al- Alomar Vizquel up the middle was the sickest. Like the the double plays we saw turned live. Like Vizquel would catch the ball without touching it. Like have you ever seen those videos yeah. where like I love that his, dude. Yeah. He, it'd be in and out of his hand so fast. So you had Roberto Alomar and Sandy, his brother, was the catcher at the same mm-hmm. time. And those, right. those teams were like all time. Um, I pulled up a list of famous 12s. The GOAT, Tom Brady, big 12. Oh, yeah, how can we huge forget 12. TB12? You said Alomar and who was the second one? You said Stockton? Stockton. So Stockton, we got Aaron Rodgers, another huge 12. I actually Bro, don't damn. I don't think of football numbers right away, So that, but those are huge 12s. That's like, I'm that's looking, like QB goat number then Rodgers and Brady who are like to me two of the top three QBs all time that's crazy also here's a deep deep cut that I did not know MJ Michael Jordan wore number 12 for one game in 1990 on Valentine's night in Orlando jersey number 12 Don number 12 after his jersey had been stolen prior to the game that's a sick little that's a sick little I had no idea I I knew knew he had the 45 when he returned in 90 whatever but dude I I never realized he wore 12 that's crazy that's wild all right, real well, quick. Speaking of QBs, man, let's just let's just run it. Although we could do it next year too. But uh, Super Bowl. I don't know if you're a huge NFL guy, uh, but but what do you think, real quick, about that? Big NFL guy. I think I think the Browns are probably my favorite team, favorite sport, just just because of the city. So in terms of the Super Bowl, I mean, you just I, part of me is like you can't bet against the Taylor Swift narrative. Like the Taylor Swift, the NFL wants it so bad, right? Oh, they man. want the they want the like what was her her song when she was younger? Like I'm on the bleachers and like looking at the quarterback. Like that that whole song. Like that was from her first album. That's coming true. It was tough to bet against that, but I actually love watching the 49ers. Like I love McCaffrey. I just I love the way Kyle Shanahan calls plays. So my heart says 49ers, but my head says Chiefs. I don't know yeah. where you're where you're leaning. I mean, I think as a fan, I think this is the best possible matchup we can get. I think 49ers are the best all-around team, but, like, it's tough to bet against Mahomes. You know, the guy, like I said, uh, TB and Aaron Rodgers are two of my top three. I think, like, Mahomes is going to end his career at worst second greatest of all time. Yeah. Like, he's he's got actually a shot to against Brady. Um, 
I'm just, I'm just excited for the game. My brother-in-law, who lives in Ohio, Columbus, by the way, huge Ohio State fan, like diehard. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you are. Like huge. Like every sun, every Saturday is like, it's a ritual. It's like, it's do religion. not disturb. Yeah, religion. Um, but he, at the very beginning of the season, put like a $200 bet on Chiefs and Niners going to the Super Bowl, and that paid like wow. a crazy multiple for him. So I was, I was pumped about that, but I'm excited for the game. I do have two quick predictions. One is you're going to get a 30 million view banger off dissecting the, how valuable that relationship has been in the NFL. I think, I think there's something there that only you could like cook up and like you do it the right T-Swift before Kelsey the Kelsey one, the T Swift Kelsey, how additive it was for the NFL. Um, blah, blah. Like, I don't, I don't know what your angle would be, but I feel like only you could cook that up. And I think that's like a 30 million view banger, especially all the attention on the game. Maybe, maybe you do it like the morning of, or I don't Ooh, know. That, something I like, like that. that a lot. I like yeah. that a lot. And then I, I think there's going to be some sort of spectacle, man. Like if, if uh, chiefs win, I feel like Kelsey might go propose to T Swift middle of something. I feel like they're going to milk it. There's going to be some sort of ultra spectacle. I would say those, those are my, my two predictions. Callaway 30 love- million view banger T Swift, Kelsey spectacle. I love that. You know, the, the meta line with T Swift is that, so she has a concert in Japan, in Tokyo, on Saturday, the day before the Super Bowl. But because that. Japan is a day ahead, she'll be able to make it back. The NFL will probably just, I mean, she has her own jet, but the NFL will just charter her the business jet Whatever and have she her wants, come yeah. back. So I think I think there's something, I can use that as the hook for the video to be like, yo, the NFL just spent blah, 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 flying Taylor Swift back because she just made them this much over this, something like that. I think that... The, the the wheels are turning, so I, I that's a good a good seed planted. I'll I'll try to cook that one up. That'll be huge, huge. Um, dope. Well, dope. Let's talk about right before the episode we were talking about like our studios. You just revamped mine. I've been in mine now in my garage studio. It's literally like it might look fancy, but then you look on the other side and it's like it's quite the dungeon. Um, but it's you know the best that I could get. My wife said, "You want to build a studio? It's got to be in the garage." I said, "No problem." Um, Tesla bears the elements outside. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we were talking like our dream studios and I think we both have kind of like the same dream where it's like this physical studio where it's just like, there, for me, it would be like a lot of different setups. It'd be like a talking head setup. It'd be a podcast setup. It would be like, you know, like j- just diff- uh, one that maybe like top down unboxing, but there'd be like a, a bunch of different setups. And then in there would just be like a team of just like super dope creatives, all kind of like grinding maybe on their own things. But sometimes we like get together uh, you know, for, for big projects or whatever it is. I don't have it super ironed out, but the, but the dream that I do have is this one that's like, um, nature versus technology. So it'd be very rustic, very earth, earthy, uh, elements like natural elements, natural tones, but then there'd just be like crazy tech all over the place and little gadgets just, just hidden. I think like Tucker Carlson, I don't know if you've seen his podcast set kind of yeah, like that, sick. but a lot more technological, a lot more screens and lights and, and little gadgets whizzing around. I think I, I told you like my, like the Tony, Ro- uh, Tony, Tony Robbins, Tony Stark cabin, like sort of CIA safe house layer. That's sort of the inspiration there. But I, I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah. I've got so much, so many thoughts on like the studio setup because when you're like a gearhead, like we are, and you watch these YouTube setup, I mean, it's just all I've been thinking about is making one. I still like this shot is okay. It, like it's it's like you, there's I, nothing in the I background. I think it fits you a lot. You know, dope. I have so many boxes around me to try to like build the rest of the room out. And like I I love this like backdrop. And I'm gonna try to like get a different angle. But so many thoughts on this. Like my like the real dream if money were no object is I basically have 
I don't know, three to five different like studio vibes that you like you're talking about, but in different locations, right? So you got one in the mountains, one on the beach, one mm-hmm. at, like whatever, and they're all set up in a way where it's like plug and play. Like I move to them, but then when I walk in, turn on the lights, it's like the Spy Kids, Tony Stark, exactly what you said. Like everything is just custom fitted. You're like, you're at the helm, right? But you can like love that. That way you can travel, but you'll you'll never sacrifice quality and like efficiency. So that that's like if money is no object. There's so many. Like, I'm trying to think of all time, the sickest setups right now, the three that come to mind. So Peter McKinnon's whole operate, we were talking about this before, like his whole operation, I think he's in Toronto, right? He's been jumping around different, different studio setups. His latest one, I'm, I'm sure he owns the building and like, is just modding it out continuously, but he has this sick, like brick neon motorcycle, like perfectly fits his personality. But he that's also what I was has like say, the, that that's the key. It's signature yeah. to him. Nobody else could do that. I love it. Yeah. It's so sick. But I'm sure he has like the matte black, the white. He has like other rooms, right? In 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 that studio. They're dope. So his is one that comes to mind. Another person that's like up and coming is Landon, by the way. I don't know if you watched that studio tour he did. It's he called his his agency or his studio is called Studio. So S-T-U-D-I-I-O. And he basically bought out a warehouse in Utah and then modded the whole thing. I think he said it was a $100,000 build to mod the whole thing. And he's what I really like about his is he has, like you said, dedicated set rooms. Like he has three rooms, one's for top down, a couple are for like interview style. He has a huge, big, like great room with, I don't know what you call this, but like it has the the white wall coming down and to the floor where you could like do product shoots. Like you almost can't yeah, tell there's a corner a cyclo- of the room. Cyclorama walls. Yeah, so Super he has one of those. For, it's yeah, so sick. sick. And he can, like, cast video onto that whole wall. He can go up there and present. He can have, like, little conferences up there. And then he has some offices as well. And I just think it's such a perfect blend of, like, everything you would need. And he's got, you know, three to five people working on his team. And I'm sure he could build, I think he rents some of the office space for co-working. So, some, like, some combination of that. And I've, I've always had this idea of I've always wanted to build, like, a Soho house, but for, like, entrepreneurs creators specifically like the only way you get in the network is like if you're building something dope and it's like voted on by the people in and you just have this like this co-working you don't need that many but like i said six to ten across the country i just think there's so such value from being physically in person with other people that are making dope shit like just bumping elbows so i don't know if that spurred any other ideas but i love this topic i'm sort of on the same page man like i agree i have a uh, a buddy that I just met down here in, in Charlotte, shout out Philip. Um, he owns, he owns a warehouse called damn good HQ. And that's where like his operation is based out of. He's in like logistics, um, like appliance supplier for Lowe's and he's crushing like th- this guy, th- the come up, his come up has been really impressed. Like he should start making content because he's like a true, true business guy. Um, I think it would crush, um, which I think he's interested in. So he's, he's, he's hired like a media team and, and a creative team, but now he's moving into a 70,000 square foot warehouse. And, um, and so we're, we're, we're going to cook something up. Maybe, maybe there's like a, an opportunity there, but I think the warehouse play is, is serious. So that, uh, sometime down the line, I think, I think there has to be, you know, we always talk about like, what's our strategy going to be. We haven't quite cracked it like a year in, but once it's like, once we figure out that strategy and there's like that consistent revenue coming in from the creative operation to where it makes sense, I think that's definitely in the cards in the, in the next few years. Yeah. The last thing I'll say on this from my side is the other thing I've always wanted, which is like, it's kind of corny, but also kind of sick is like the Batman layer with the room with like, 
the stone walls with the light panels all the way on, like through as far as the eye can see, basically where like the Batmobile sits. And I've always just had this dream, this like vision in my head of like this. It's so corny, but the the murdered out G wagon, which is like my dream car. I I don't even know if I'd like really want a sports car, but <clears throat> murdered out G wagon just. Whatever house I'm in, I like pull into the driveway, the garage lifts up, and I drive it right into that like deep Batman layer style studio space with the lights. Unbox Therapy built their studio kind of like this, where it has that. Yeah, see, that's sick. That's, it's it's sick. so yeah. sick. It's like empty as far back as possible. Like I'm just picturing like the G Wagon just parked on the side, nothing else besides like the desk that I'm filming at. And then obviously on the other side is like all the stuff. But. Yeah, dude, they're, like, part of the reason why I want to win big is just so I can, like, have fun building out these, like, physical spaces. Because like, I, I think that's so, it's so cool. I think we're on the same page there. Um, Cali might be a little tough finding, like, a 40,000 square foot uh, yeah. warehouse out there. <laughs> I guess maybe, like, Orange County somewhere. Trying to think of where there'd be, like, enough affordable land where it wouldn't cost, like, $50 million for, like, 100,000 square feet. Um but yeah, no, hundred percent. But you you were saying something that I found interesting, and like uh, we were talking about Coffeezilla. So he doesn't really have a physical set. Everything his is just like green screen, and like he his production team, they're like really dope at VFX and putting together things, and like everything is just sort of um, uh, modeled out, right? So not, so it's like a green screen set. Doctor Disrespect. I don't know if there's any like streaming fans out there. He does this really well as well, where he has like the sick ass graphics team and productions team. And then he'll have different sets in front of a green screen, and then they'll simulate him like in a car or at a stadium. I think Champions Club is what he calls it, et cetera. We were talking, it's like, wait, might Vision Pro just streamline this to the point where it's like having a physical setup is less and less important? Um, because it's already pretty accurate at like cutting you out and sort of like matching the light. So in three years, will a physical studio even be as important where everything can just sort of be simulated uh, in these devices? Um, or... Mid journey and all these other that that are like going into world creation. Can you just create the world that you're sitting in and generate it? And that, I, I I don't know. I don't know if you want to expand there, but I think Vision Pro coming out on Friday. This episode will be out. I think by the time we get it in in our hands. But let's let's just talk about that in general. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the thing is like the level one is basically trying to put me or you in the physical space we want to be in. Level two is like bringing the viewer into that physical space. And then level three is once you have the Vision Pro, you can basically put you and the viewer in any space you want without physical constraints. And so I think what's going to happen is like the physical space, the physical studio around you is, is going to become more important for the creator, like to inspire us to make stuff. But you'll be able to craft, like you said, uh, like picture the that sphere <clears throat> Picture that sphere in Vegas, you know, like how yeah. it's so it's so immersive where you almost forget you're like sitting in a stadium seating in that sphere. And because it's 360 and the graphics are so so like crystal clear and high res, it just creates this it you almost lose the whatever it's called, the like the barrier of reality or whatever the like formal term is, you lose the fact that you're where you are. And I think what the Vision Pro will do now before everyone has it. Potentially, there'll be this like weird in between where like if you have one, it'll be extremely immersive with whatever world we create. But if you don't have one, you're almost like consuming a 3D image on a 2D screen. So it's not going to feel as immersive. But once you have the meta glasses or whatever the whatever the AirPods for VR end up being, where like everyone has them and they're 500 bucks or whatever the consumer price is, I think you're going to be able to put people <clears throat> you're going to be able to put them in these crazy 3D worlds and like build sets and and 
like you said, imagine I'm just picturing these demos that we've been seeing of the of the Vision Pro where people are creating these windows. Well, right now the windows are like notes and text, but what happens when those windows are full walls that are mid-journey images and you just create a mid-journey panorama and stitch it all around you and all of a sudden if you can live stream well, I'm just like combining terms that exist today. We don't even know if this is going to work, but like if you can live stream the Vision Pro where people can see what you see and you just build walls around you of like mid-journey worlds or even like panoramic pictures that you take, all of a sudden sets don't matter. Like screens don't matter, sets don't matter, lights don't matter. You can manipulate everything you want in 3D space. So to me, that's so cool because if you're if you're money constrained or you know you have amazing creativity but you don't have the resources, all of a sudden anybody can put themselves in any type of scenario, and that's that's pretty sick. Can't wait to see development. I mean, just keep listening to this pod, keep consuming our content because I think we'll definitely keep you updated and, and be like, uh, you know, first movers, shakers, tinkerers here. Um, I, I completely agree, man. And, and again. I haven't tried the Vision Pro. We're both going to be trying it on Friday. I do want to get to the point, and not necessarily that I'm like, I'm more and more leaning into like, yo, maybe I should just focus my content more and more in tech because I really do love this stuff. And I'd love to get to the point where I'm getting these items like the uh, like a week, yeah. two weeks in advance to, because like Marquez Brownlee, Joanna Stern, the ver- like there's I think like a handful of maybe 10 to 20 creators who got the device, I'm guessing like two weeks early, and they've Definitely. like cooked up and had like all these videos prepared to go. And they're performing as well as I've ever seen tech videos perform right now. They're so there's a lot of interest on this device. Absolutely crushing, um, which is great. Now for us as like creators, we wanted to get our hands in it and start making some stuff out. The, the, it sort of uh, deflates the excitement by the time like we're, we get there. And so like our challenge now, I think, is to like m- make unique content or like find unique angles um, I'll probably still come out with like some sort of unboxing video, even though I, I just feel like everybody's going to see it by then, but I feel like whatever, um, we're still like one of the first, I don't know, hundred thousand people in the world with, with our hands on the vision pro coming Friday. I, th- I think actually even less heard a number like 40,000 will be picked up on Friday. So there's still not a lot out there. So there's still a lot of opportunity, but I do want to get to the point, man, where we're like, you know, anytime Microsoft, Apple, Google, Meta, whoever is coming out with dope stuff, we get it in our hands first and we get like that week or two to prepare content. Um, and I think we're close. I honestly think like another year of, of, uh, of grinding away. And I think we, we get to that point where, uh, where our voices matter enough. We're definitely close. And I, I think the, this, this frame of like, what's the thing that only we can make to me, that's, it's echoing through my head, but now Let's across every that. medium. Like I was just thinking about that for shorts, where it's like, okay, I could go anywhere with shorts. Like there's so many people that unbox, or like there's so many people that are like, here's the five apps you should use. And I'm like, I could make that, but that not only I could make that. Obviously, there's so many examples. So then I started leaning into like things like the Stanley or the Taylor Swift business, things that I th- maybe not only I could make, but only I would like think to make it and maybe could make. And that those started performing really well. And so then I I don't know why I didn't translate that thinking to like this podcast or like now YouTube videos. It's like unboxing. Is there a way we could do the unboxing where only we could make it? Maybe, but like, you know, how far could we push it? If it's not that far, then it's like, eh, probably it's probably like not worth if we have, if time is our biggest constraint instead of an unboxing is like, well, what could we, what could we do that other people couldn't do? So an example that we're going to try to do is like you said, we're going to try to be the first people to have like a podcast where both hosts are wearing the vision. Although, Pro the, although like did you see it? <laughs> the, the spatial FaceTime was very underwhelming. I would say, uh, yeah. 
I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw the, those there's videos. a ton of reviews out there now and they're like showing it in action. A lot of the reviewers are actually saying it's a, their least favorite part about the Vision Pro. Um, but yeah, if you see it, it's very anticlimactic. Like I was picturing something a little more grand, a sort of like Lex Friedman, Mark Zuckerberg style. And I actually, may, maybe Meta is like cracked this more than Apple at the moment because when you go and look at it, it's like, it looks like two like 480p blurry like painting avatars talking with each yeah. other. But we're still going to do it. But it's, it's a little underwhelming. Another way we could do it. So that's one way where we could like use the FaceTime in the Vision Pro, but also have like our cameras here so we can like cut back and forth to like seeing us. But another way we could do Split it. Split screen, yeah. Yeah, is basically we, we could record ourselves with the thing. We're still talking. We're not like seeing each other. But then each of us have windows up in the Vision Pro on our own that we're, and we're screen recording. And basically we could talk about a topic while like using the Vision Pro to research it and go back and forth. So like, let's say we talked about uh, MKBHD and like his YouTube. All of a sudden, the, the on the bottom screen is like us with the goggles on, just like talking, because it's kind of funny to see. But on the top screen is like our screens looking up MKBHD stuff. So it's almost like, because, because until they have like a simulcast version where you and I could be like sitting next to each other and like I look and see you and you see me, whatever, until that exists, which I don't think works right now, there's interesting ways we could play with it. But that's like a perfect example back to the point of like, what are the only videos that we could make? It's like, because we have a podcast, we're creator first. So like, we're kind of thinking in that frame. We can come up with interesting frameworks and story story lenses that aren't the traditional unboxing or like, let me show you the apps that you can use. You know what I'm saying? And so that's that's where my mind is is really running with this and and everything. Yeah. Although, I mean, like we, we talk about trends a lot and I've been saying uh, more and more when I speak with creators uh, in a group setting or an individual setting, I'm like, I love trends, but I love them uh, to, to put wind into my sails. I love them as sort of like momentum drivers, but trends are dangerous when you base your whole identity and content around it. So AI is a great example. I, I, when beginning of 2023, I was like, I want to build an audience. How am I going to do it? I'm going to leverage a trend. AI is a trend right now. I'm interested in this stuff. I'm going to cover it every day. Da, da, da. That was my driver. Now it's probably been like a couple months since I've made like an AI video. I'm like completely sort of switched over into what I really wanted to make from the beginning. But I do see mixed reality specific to the Vision Pro, another opportunity, because over the next, I would say six months, there's going to be a real trend and opportunity of like developers rushing to create the dopest things. So for example, did you see, I don't know if you saw the spatial vacuuming. No, I didn't. Oh, so there's a spatial vacuuming video that went super viral. Posted it, I reposted it. You know, another creator, another AR developer uh, shared it on Twitter and it went viral and exploded on Twitter. I reposted it to Metaverse, 30 million views, 800,000 likes, something like that in like four days. And I'm like, Damn. okay, there's a huge opportunity. If we're the ones keeping our eyes on, which I, which I will and we'll share it on this podcast, but I, I, I like keeping my eyes on the developer landscape. Again, like subreddits are great for this, seeing what's coming out and identifying it first before anybody else. So like the same way that we were kind of going viral showing like AI stuff is going to be another opportunity here. Going viral showing like these first novelty use cases. And again, it's like you don't necessarily want to build your brand around that. You become more of a newscaster. It's like you and I talk about that a lot. But it's a great momentum driver for another one, two, 300,000 followers into our ecosystem that could then enjoy our bread and butter content. So that's how I'm looking at the vision pro. And so I'm, I'm probably just like sitting here for this podcast strategically, same way as I used AI, I will probably use this mixed reality. And, and of course, cause I'm metaverse, which is like, is, is in that. So I can leverage that as well. Yeah, but that is enough. kind of my strategy with the vision pro over the next six months. 
keep my eyes on the developer landscape, try to break it and show it first. Um, and I think that'll yield dividends, you know, and then yeah. probably six months from now, you'll never see another piece of content on mixed reality. And then that's how I approach trends. How do I use them as momentum drivers without getting caught in the trap of, cause I, I started to a little bit, I became known, Oh, he's an AI creator. So I quickly like try to, you yeah. know, get, get out of that, um, archetype. Um, it's basically like I don't know you, you are the niche. It's like you are the yeah. niche, but then you can channel your focus on different topics because you're the niche, not AI is the niche, right? right? That's, that's right. a key difference. Some people are like, it's not really them, it's AI. And then it's like, well, shit, when AI, not that it becomes unpopular, but when it slows down and like there just isn't as much interesting stuff surfacing mm -hmm. and there's something else, it's very hard to switch to the other lens. But when you're the niche, it's way easier to just pick and choose. So I, I actually think that's a really smart frame. And another thing I was thinking is, like there are some games that are unfair and some games that are fair. In this case, like making YouTube videos of unboxing the Vision Pro, that's unfair because Correct. people got it before we did. So I was thinking like, okay, we can't play the unfair games and win. Like if we make an, un like you're saying, you might make an unboxing video still because you want to make it, but if, but it's not going to go 2 million views in 24 hours or whatever like MKBHDs did because people have seen it. The shock value is gone. So I was thinking like, how do we play the unfair game back and one option, which I don't think this will work that well, but like basically MKBHD is YouTube first. He realizes short form is important. He has Instagram, whatever, but he doesn't really use it. So one way to have played that is like, as soon as he drops the YouTube, you basically just make a short form and the B-roll content is his B-roll and the narrative is like him using it. And you're basically just call yep. hopping on top of him and being like, yo, look what MKBHD just did. And like, you're basically like telling the same story, but through him instead of you. And so like, you don't have to be the first person creator of the content. You can just reuse it. The issue yep. is if you're a derivative, you'll always be a derivative. So it's not going to, it'll never be like hundred percent true shock value, but that is a good way. That exact same thought. I was like, I should synthesize this. Um, and, but a lot of people, like when I, I started doing that early 2023 on Twitter and I was going super viral, just like reposting viral content. And I was like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to fall into this trap of being like a forever, a synthesizer, a reposter. Yeah. Um, and so the thing but is, you don't, you don't get a lot of do it as well. So, I mean, uh, you don't get a lot of stickiness in terms of people following you for you when you do that, but you get a huge top of funnel reach. And so, like you said, it's all, bingo. it's all about mixing it in where like when you have the opportunity, when it's an unfair game, but the wave is so big, you're like, eh, whatever, I'll just make one of these. I'll get a hundred or I'll get 10 million views or 5 million views or 2 million views. I'll get, <clears throat> I'll get 20,000 people into the ecosystem. They might not stick, but whatever. you want to mix it up. That's, that's the thing is I think my brain was trained to be like, find pattern, repeat pattern, win on pattern, like, but just one. But I think that's the wrong strategy. It's more like experiment across every pattern you can think of, find many winning patterns, play any pattern that comes to mind at that time, and just, just mix up the patterns over and over. And by doing that, you'll create enough variation that people will buy into you instead of whatever pattern or whatever topic you're going into. So I didn't so like much, said, so much gold there, so much gold there. That's a valuable, yeah. valuable nugget. Let's clip that. Um, for the editors, <laughs> um, that I, I like that you said that though, cause you had that thought, but then you chose not to make it. I, I like had that thought after the fact, but I also like wasn't near my computer when I saw it and I like had something planned. So I didn't end up doing it either, but that's a good example. Like I bet if we went back on our timelines, we could find multiple situations where we did do that. Like we took something viral that someone else had made, remixed it. And like, we got 
500,000 to yeah. 2 million views. And, and, and so that's what I'm saying with like the, the vision pro, like I'll probably have that kind of content reemerge back on my feed. Um, as I see like developers doing crazy things, you know, and I'm going to be like, check out what this developer did. Uh, I'll probably add a little more color to it. So it isn't straight synthesizing. It's like a, adding a little more flavor, what the implications are. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't like, you know, we'll get the headset and then we'll figure it out. But I have been thinking, I always fall into traps. And so that was one of the traps I fell into Twitter was like, I'm going to stop like reposting. And then I see all the reposter guys um, when they come out with the product, they have just like this built in again, top of funnel audience. Um, and uh, you know, it, it results in success. So I do think like you said, there is a balance. There's some sort of formula that you want to kind of uh, try to be strategic with. I don't think you want to lean too hard in one direction. Um, and I think I'm leaning too hard in the, no, only original thought, original content direction. I should, I should probably find that balance again. So and, and good, a good, good frame for this, nugget. a good frame for this is like the people that are on the edges, like if, if they look down, one leg is like hanging off and one leg is like still on like the actual edge. Those are rarely the people that have huge audiences because it requires them to be so far in the weeds that the, their special skill is being willing to play with something that doesn't work, that nobody's playing with, whatever. Where you really want to, where I think the best bang for buck on the curve is like one or two steps closer to reality from them. So, so that you basically can have relatability to normal people, but also be aware of what's on the edges. And the reason I say that is like, the source content for like the dopest shit is going to be made by the people on the edges. But so like, for example, that vacuum thing, it might've taken me two months organically to like stumble upon the vacuum thing. But there's like some crazy smart person that is going through the entire list of apps that like found the vacuum thing in the first day and played with it. It's way better bang for buck for me to just remix their source content on that, add some commentary that's unique to my own and put it out versus me being like, the only, the only source I can do is like make it myself. Even if I saw the vacuum thing, it was like, all right, I want to now film myself using it. It's like, yo, that's so dumb. That's like very inefficient to do. Just use what's already there because we don't live in an internet where like you're not allowed to basically take other people's source material and remix on top of it. So because we can do that, we might as well use that as an advantage. I feel like that's a, that's a helpful frame for people. Yeah, no, 100%, man. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And so it'll be interesting. And I guess we can, you know, over the next several months, year, uh, as, as the vision pro in this platform progresses, I know like meta is probably going to be right behind them with, with, you know, one of their own. Um, again, I think this will be a, a definitive trend for 2024 and we'll be covering it and, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it here where, where our thoughts are. Um, so that's super interesting. I don't know where you want to go next. I was thinking we could talk about TikTok and their changes in their like desperate attempt. I wouldn't necessarily call it desperate, but the very obvious attempt to go uh, head on with YouTube. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. that. Why well, one one last thought on the other thing I wanted to ask Please, you yeah, is, I, I no, it's all good. I think a good friend, a good benchmark for us, like you, exactly what you said, is like when Apple is sending us both the Vision Pro for free to like not only to review it, but like they see us as tastemakers. That's like a really good sign that we have made it to whatever level we wanted to make it to. And I was going to say, you're already starting to get some of these. Like I saw you posted the Insta360, like you, you got all that road stuff. And I'm curious, I bet there's people watching that are like, what type of stuff do I have to make so that brands will send me free stuff either to use, to give away or to review? And I haven't really gotten to that point yet, but it sounds, it looks like you have. So do you want to talk through quickly, like which of the types of videos that you, that you made, do you think most led to these kind of examples where you're like getting sent the laptop you're i mean that was maybe a deal but like the road stuff for free or the insta 360 like 
Just talk about that because I think it would be helpful to give specific context to people who want to play in that world. Yeah, I actually, I can't pinpoint it, but I will say like the last two months, my brand inbound has gone crazy to the point where I have like 30 unopened emails. I don't like, I actually, we, we need to, I desperately need like a manager agent to, to funnel all this stuff through because I can't do the negotiation. I'm not really interested in, in it. I hate, um, and I get it. It's part of the game, but I hate having like present my case. You know, people undervalue me. It's like, you know, I come back with a 10x higher price and they want to meet somewhere in the middle. I just... It, it's time. It's a distraction. I'd rather professionally handle that so I can do what I want to do and, and do what I'm good at. Um, but I, I honestly don't know because my output has gotten way less. I used to post at least five times a week, sometimes every day. And now I'm like struggling to, to get a, a, a video out there per week. I need, I need to like dramatically increase my output. So I actually don't know. There's been this weird correlation of like output versus brand inbound. But I do think and this actually relates back to what we were just talking about is when I was doing like the newscasty stuff, reposting viral things on Twitter, I wasn't getting a lot of um, brand inbound or attention. But then when I started leaning into like the cinematic originals, um, and this is why I think like I've, I've devalued sort of the um, let me cover this viral spatial vacuum type videos, just because the original stuff has like, I've just seen it be way more impactful. Again, there's no real way to measure it. Well, I guess there kind of is because I can look at like, you know, views, comments, follows per view, those kind of metrics. So there's a little bit of a, of a way to quantify it. But just in general, and I feel like anecdotally, I don't know if it's unique to me or what, but, you know, the three or four like cinematic originals that I've made, I would honestly argue they've been more impactful for me than the 200 previous videos combined. Um, yeah. And so that's been a real serious signal for me where it's like, why am I not spending all my time doing this, you know, it's like, and, but it's hard because you got to come up with a script first and it's sometimes hard to make that, them. That's it, why. It's, it's, hard. it's not even that hard to make them. Honestly, the toughest part is figuring out the script, figuring out something that's original, which may be sort of impossible or like an original twist or something. I mean, you, you know, the game, like, you know, how hard and difficult that is. And so I'd love to create more films, short films, cinematic originals, but it's like, dude, I ha like, you should see, I have a list of ideas and like, 99% of them are just so like bland. Okay. Do I really want to do yeah. this? This has been done a million times. Um, and so finding those like original angles, that's, that's the tough part. You know, I wouldn't even yeah. say like filming and editing is, is it's, it's the idea. You know, what's hilarious is the, the writing the script and finding the original angles. Like I could do that all day. The filming and the editing is what I'm terrible at. Like if you gave me those ideas, I bet I could come back with like, maybe it's not going to be as banger immediately as like the ones you had, but like, that is the thing that it just comes to my mind for some reason. But that's, I do agree. I think it's like the cinematic originals, like you said. I think anytime you're showing your surroundings, I think a lot of brands want to their product in life versus like me and you were just sitting here and like I'm going to experiment and I'm going to try to make a video on this thing, this brick that I've been using, this thing, to get rid of my screen time. But like until I have a set or places to like film it where I'm using it. That isn't just right here. It's hard to create that like immersive what vibe. Is that, by I the think, way? Oh, this thing is, it's amazing. So basically, uh, I saw somebody, my friend Jordan posted this on Twitter. Basically I'm addicted to my phone and I'm trying to get unaddicted. And the two options that you have today are either leave your phone your career, at home. Though, it's a little bit different. Yeah, it's more like right before bed or when I wake up or like when I work out or if I go on a walk with my wife, I just want to be able to not access social got media it, during those it. times. So I, I still like really need social media and actually like consuming content there. But I felt like I never had an off switch. And the only two options were 
leave my phone at home, which is not practical because then you don't have maps, you don't have the camera, you don't have like all the utility piece, or use Apple screen time, which is a joke. Like you just like press one button to get through it. So there's really no good way to like get social media locked for a little bit, you know, so you can be productive and then unlock it later. So this thing is amazing. Basically, so it's called Brick. You have two states on your phone. You have bricked and unbricked. Unbricked is how your phone normally is. Bricked is you pick which apps you want to disable. And then the only way to enable them is to physically touch your phone to this. So what I'll do is I'll brick my phone and I'll put the brick in my bedroom and I'll put my phone with me and then I'll be working. And you know, like those times every 15 minutes when you go to check Instagram, I'll pick up my phone, I'll go to press it, it doesn't work. And then in my head, I'll be like, oh, like I'd have to get up and go get the thing to undo it. And it's just enough friction where I'm like, oh no, I don't need it. And I just put my phone down. And I've noticed like before bed and on walks specifically, I go to check my phone like so many times. And like when I'm sleeping, I put the brick in my office and I'll put my phone next to the bed. It's so helpful. And this thing is, it's $49. Um, They made me a code, it's $10 off. So people will be able to buy this for $39. And I love this thing. You can travel with it super light. Code's Callaway. So- if you just go to, it's getbrick.app. So if you go, to, I mean, this is a free ad for them, but if you go to yeah, getbrick.app. This isn't sponsored, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but now, it should be sponsored. Yo, we're going to send them this clip. Keep this in. We're going to send them this clip. We want you guys to sponsor this pod. We can get you uh, a good ROI. Yeah, I'm homies with the guys. I'm going to make a short dedicated to this and, uh, and see how it does. But so this, this is an example where like, what I wanted to do was have my full set set up and have like a different table and be able to do the top down and all that stuff. I don't have it set up yet, but I don't want to like wait to make the video. But my point is when you're just doing the talking head, it doesn't feel very immersive versus the, the cinematic videos you've been making and like the studio tour and even the laptop giveaway, you were using your sets and like using different angles. And I think, I think companies see that and they're like, oh, this would be really easy for him to make for our product. And so that's why they, that's why they send it. Again, I need a, a man. So I'll give you, well, I have two thoughts there. One is, um, and, and both thoughts lead to like a greater point, but one is on that note, like I, I've had companies reach out and I go through them. I've, I've given the craziest deals. Like I'm not going to name the company, but one, I was like, yo, I, cause I just want to do it as sort of like a case study. So I was only asking for only, but it was six K and I was like, I'm going to rent out two locations. I'm going to need to hire two people to make this. And I came up with this dope vision, it intertwined a lot of story, personal to me, like all this stuff. And I think it would have got three, 400,000 views. I think they would have made their money back. Like, but they were like, nah, we just want the talking head. We just want you to talk about the product. And I was like, that's not going to, so, so yeah. So, so to your point, I thought the same thing, but some companies are like, no, no, no. Here are the examples we want. And it's just like TikTokers talking about the product and they, and I'm like, damn, like, so maybe there isn't, then again, there's not a lot of data here, but maybe there isn't as big of an appetite for some of these brands. Now, I think the bigger brands are going to want to go for the cinematic stuff. Um, but that was kind of a bummer. But I do have, I do appreciate you saying that because I just, I booked like eight Airbnbs over the next three months that are all like super sick cabins and, and I'm going to use them really as a visual hook, right? And I'm going to start making content. A lot of the stuff isn't to sponsor or plug anything. It's just like dope stories and things that I want to say. Um, and hopefully that'll be like additive to the brand. But um, the reason I'm doing it is to then be able to present it to a brand at a higher budget level and be like, yo, let's make an actual film together. You guys are spending $400,000 on a commercial that's not seen by anybody. Yeah. This is a new format that I think we can pioneer where it's like, we're making, um, Kyle Nutt does this incredibly well, where it's like, you're going to get way more viewers doing it this way at a much discounted price. Maybe you're going to spend 20,000 instead of 200,000 and you're going to get more views and more affinity. And this is like a, a, a concept that you can rinse and repeat with a lot of other creators. And so 
I, again, I'm, I don't, I don't even know that I'm good enough, but like, I don't have the time to like be negotiating and reaching out with pitching concepts, storyboards, ideas. So like, I need to, I need to build a team to help me there. But the other thing that I wanted to mention, I do think this is a greater theme and trend that we're going to see is that there's a company called Opal and it's the same as that brick, but software based. So it's like an app that bricks Instagram and like blocks it for like a certain amount of time. And there's like no way to undo it. And they just, they licensed two videos of mine actually. And they're like modified the endings. Um, and I, th- I thought they were like pretty lucrative deals. I was happy with them. But then Hunter Weiss tweeted that this is like an emerging trend and somebody else did it. And they charged 10% of the entire ad spend. So somebody's going to put a hundred thousand dollars on this, on this, uh, ad, you know, on this, uh, running this ad, they would have to pay you 10 grand, but then, you know, like the accounting and the back and forth and the trust, it's like a, it's like a, yeah. Anyways, so the point that I'm making is now we have like as viral sort of creators. Now if something goes viral, it's not just like some views and followers that you get there. If it's well positioned, this is going to be an emerging trend because this is working really, really well. Where brands are like, instead of me hiring creator A to make a piece of content where I'm taking some of the risk because maybe it won't perform well, it could be a flop. Any creator susceptible to flops. It's like they're just checking TikTok and Instagram for what's gone nuclear and then if it fits sort of the ethos of their brand, they'll run it as an ad. And so like for me, it fit perfectly because this is like an anti or like a being mindful of social media of screen time, sort of like the brick. And I made videos about this. So they licensed them out and then modified the ending just to like, you know, plug to, the product. to, to yeah. plug the product in, in a more cohesive way. And if I'm a marketer and if I'm hiring, like I would probably lean into this a little more. Like I'm, I'm like, wait a second, Callaway's video on, on whatever went super nuclear let me just license that out and modify it to plug my brand. That's because it's already like the, the proof is already in the pudding. It's a um, huge trend. Well, that's a huge the, trend. That's going to be annoying part is brands are just ripping my shit and running ads on it without paying me the license like that. I, like some of my How? friends have, Dude, like they'll that's... just, they just download my video and then like, you know, like you can go to TikTok or you or Instagram and just like with Downey, you could just rip the video and then they're just running it on an ad. And like, there's no way for me to know unless it shows up in my feed. So like some of my friends, I made a video about, uh, this thing called snap calorie, which is like just this AR thing where you can hold your phone over to your plate and it will tell you exactly how many macros are on the plate and like how many calories It's pretty cool, but like very early app, like maybe one, one, uh, or two team members, made a video. I think it got a hundred thousand, 200,000 views. And then my friend was like, yo, I think snap calories, like running ads. Like I saw your face on snap calories thing. I was like, I didn't get paid for that. So that, that kind of sucks. But, um, but I well, that, totally I, mean, agree. I would, I would take action there. Right. Like, yeah. What, was it like they used a two second clip as commentary I or didn't they see ran it. your entire ad? Oh man, you should. Yeah. I should look that's, at it. Yeah. You should take a look at that. I mean, that's an easy, that's a slam dunk for any lawyer to get yeah, you know, uh, you know I, don't, I don't know like how big the company is, how profitable, how the opportunity there, but I wouldn't let that fly. Yeah. But what I was going to say is, so this is like, this is a direct PSA. Like Roberto needs someone to run his stuff. I need someone to run my stuff as, as a group with weekends, we need somebody to run our stuff. Now the thing is like, we like, I don't want somebody who's doing 10 other creators. All I want is like someone focused full time on us, like you, me and ours thing. And the PSA is like, if you want to run this, we are open to experimenting with any type of deal. You can do the licensing thing. Like you can take our back catalog, which is like 500 videos and get licenses on those deals. You can structure unique deals, storytelling based deals. You can go to pretty much any type of brand. Like we need this. And the only types of people that I've talked to for this are doing 
other cre- like multiple creators, right? Like we'd be one of five, one of 10. And I just don't think it's enough focused attention where you can really like eke out the returns. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if, uh, if that resonates, but like there's so much lost opportunity in our emails that we just like, I, I turned down so many things. That I just like, don't want to negotiate. Like it's, it's literally a, a thing of like laziness or just like, it's just not worth the back and forth 50 emails to get to some number. It's like, we just need somebody to focus on this. And, uh, and w- the thing I've picked up over the last few weeks is I don't want someone who's focused on other people as well. I need some, I want somebody dedicated to our stuff. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. I mean, my whole thing this year, my, uh, I like having word of the years. I've always thought that was helpful. And the word of the year for me this year was focus. And so I would love to, I've, I've realized I've realized like where I should, like all my time should be going to like these cinematic originals. I think that has been by far and away the, the highest signal, highest reward uh, thing that I'm doing and I'm not doing it, <laughs> you know, which is, which is funny. It's like the highest signal, highest reward thing that's, that's happening in my world. I'm spending so little time on, and I would love to be able to, again, like any, I don't want to, I don't want to check my email. I don't want to go back and forth with brands. I want somebody to like weed it out. Okay. This is actually a really dope opportunity that will actually be additive to your brand. It'll add prestige to your brand. It's a good payday for the time. This and that. It's like not that much of a distraction. Like I want somebody to, to weed all that out. I don't know if that's an individual, an agency. Uh, I don't, I don't know what that is, but what, one of my goals this year is to definitely figure that out. I would like to just, um, spend all the time doing what's working. So great PSA. Hopefully somebody reaches out. The The biggest thing is just like all of the big creators, there's COO type individuals behind the scenes. They're number twos, they're number threes that are making a ton of money and that the creators couldn't have gotten where they got without these individuals. And all of those people took a bet on those creators earlier in their journey to be like, this is a horse that I want to back so if you're listening and the reason why I like lump us together is just because I think there's a ton of opportunity with the weekends crossover and like the stuff we're doing. So if, if you're, if you believe in us as horses and like, like we are at the non inflection point of the curve, whatever the flat part is, like we have not peaked yet. So like, if you believe in that and you're like a huge supporter and have experience with ad deals or like even not just like you're a hungry, scrappy COO type individual that wants to be behind the scenes. I can't think of two better creators to back, right? Like Adrian Purr is another one. He, it doesn't seem like he has someone. <clears throat> There's only a handful of people that like don't have the infrastructure. I would, I would be very surprised if he didn't. So I, I can add yeah. from another lens. It's like, I think for our size, we're probably, we're probably a rarity that we don't have representation. Cause when I was running my last business, I was doing all the creator outreach and, and structuring all the influencer deals and whatnot. And I, I probably have reached out to 5,000 creators. I could go through my old music's email and like probably gather data here. And I would say almost all of them had representation. So sometimes they'd have their personal Gmail, but I'd hit the Gmail and they'd respond back with, I'm CCing my management or I'm CCing uh, whoever it is. And then like they would handle all the correspondence. Sometimes they had professional emails with the budgets that I was running with. I would actually usually avoid those because I was like, all right, I know they're going to try to upsell me like 10 X. So I would actually be happy when I would find a creator where their Gmail went to them personally. Cause I was like, okay, playing the other side of the bucket is like, okay, I can get the best uh, bang for my buck here. Like yeah, these yeah. people don't necessarily know their value yet, which is interesting. Right. And so I think when creators see a Gmail, usually it's, or companies see a Gmail, usually it's a little more approachable. Um, but it's also, they know like subconsciously I can kind of shark these people. They don't know their value when you don't have professional representation, which I think is interesting. Cause I'm, I've, I've played both sides of the game, um, which has given me a good, uh, 
you know, a good reference now as a, as a creator. And so that's another reason that I'd, I'd rather have management because it automatically weeds out the lower budget, lower quality brand inflow. And the ones that do hit, hit you, knowing that it's professional representation, that means they're serious and serious with their budgets. Yeah. Um, so that's another interesting, you know, piece of information. We need this. We're looking for it. Hopefully somebody uh, sees this and because I think the best way is like the inbound, the natural inbound, right? It's like the the entourage, like the E, the E character is like, I mean, he was he was boys with him from growing up, but like, I just find it's very inorganic to like me to email to reach out to an agency, hello at agency dot com, get back with from a random BD rep that connects me with a random agent that doesn't give a shit about me. Like that is literally the path I went down for a few people just to kick the tires, and that's not what you want. What you want is someone who's like willing to die for your cause because they're like you're an underpriced asset that i see and like i like i like the way you think i like the way you talk i want to i want to run for you like i want to run this race for you that's what we need so yeah if that resonates hit us up but let's go to the tiktok stuff like you said because i think that's really interesting you want to give your frame on like the big news that you texted me about was tiktok's pushing to do these horizontal videos just like youtube and I, I watched someone who did a tutorial to be like, I'm going to help you figure out how to do it. And the first thing they said was like, TikTok app does not let you record horizontally. <laughs> so it's like, it, they're not even ready for this. But like, what, what, what do you think about this when you read it? So first to frame it. So TikTok is going to boost algorithmically any video that is horizontal um, and that is over one minute long. And that is also original. So anything that's like lip syncing or whatever, they're, they're not going to consider and it's super interesting. So two things come to mind. One is the app isn't formatted for this aspect ratio. It's like, it's such a jarring sort of experience. Now they do have something that Instagram doesn't have is where you can turn your phone or actually, I don't even think you can turn it. Um, you, you hit the full screen and then you can watch it actually consume it horizontally, which Instagram, I don't know why they haven't added that, but they haven't. Um, but TikTok is really trying to lean into this horizontal game. That's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't fit well with their current aspect ratio and their current experience. So what I think they're cooking up almost hundred percent is like a television app, um, where you can consume TikTok as you do YouTube on your TV or on your browser. So I think they're going to, they're, they're going to try to compete head on with YouTube. And as we've talked about before, the reason like Instagram and some of these other platforms can't do it is because of that you know, uh, consumption behavior of the YouTube audience where they're watching it on a d- different tab on a TV. So I think TikTok realizes this. They're going to push in that direction. That's why they're pushing horizontal long form. They literally want to become like YouTube or have a YouTube uh, uh, competitor counterpart app. Then the other thing I'm thinking, okay, maybe they want it horizontal so they can use the space above and below to run ads simultaneous to your video. That's also a possibility. Um, but either way, I, I really do feel like TikTok is beginning to decline culturally, at least in, in the United States. I, I'm like a professional watcher. I've said that before. I read a lot of comments. I'm always trying to gauge the, um, you know, the culture, the, 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 the pulse of the internet. And what I'm seeing is people have this fatigue now with TikTok because they've leaned so hard into shopping. It feels like very low quality. It's like, you know, the phrase marketers ruin everything. It's like, maybe you are to blame, maybe you and I are to blame too, like professional creators all over the place. The charm and the appeal and the allure of TikTok 2020 during its peak days, I think is completely like diminished. Um, And I just, I mean, I see articles too, you know, reels, 40% year over year consumption growth, 100%, like, and TikTok has now started to decline. And also the regulatory pressure that's, you know, being mounted on top of TikTok as well. I just feel like it's a platform in decline that has lost their identity and they're pushing too hard 
to squeeze revenue out of. And um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't personally, I'm, I'm bearish on it. What do you think? Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if TikTok's going to experience a similar arc kind of to Snapchat, right? So Snapchat invented stories. Like they were the first ones to do it. Then it was sick. Everyone was like, oh wow, this is really cool. Like a temporary exploding kind of like my day. Instagram ripped the stories. Instagram stories became a thing. Snapchat didn't go to zero, but it, it had to fall back and like funnel into its own kind of advertising model, which was basically these like premium content channel-based pages. So like ESPN has a content channel. And then Snapchat, in order to survive, had to give crazy ad splits to the producers of those con- of that content. I still think people use Snapchat for the exploding messages, but it's not anywhere near what it could have been if it was the if it had proprietary access to the stories, which was like a killer feature. I think a similar thing is going to happen here with TikTok, where it's like TikTok had a moment, they were rising. All they had to do is stay out of their own way and just like let the organic algo keep cooking. But instead, like you said, they they fit, they leaned too far into monetization too quickly. I mean, it's fair, like they were burning money, so they had to figure out a way to monetize, but they leaned way too quickly. And what I think is going to happen is Reels is going to take over a lot of that consumption and TikTok is going to have to funnel into something else. So I think, what is that something else? I do think they're, if they look at all the content platforms, the no matter who you are, the one you want to be is YouTube because YouTube figured out how to build the most depth, how to get creators obsessed with it, how to pay out creators in a way that's fair, how to monetize and run ads like crazy. So I think TikTok's not stupid. Like they're looking at YouTube, they're like, how do we become more like YouTube? If we have billions of eyes today, how can we convert a high portion of those eyes to a YouTube use case? So my thing is like, okay, that's a decent strategy. And if you're able to get people to upload horizontal content and consume it on TikTok, and it's 28 minutes long, you can pipe in those mid-roll ads like YouTube all day long, and it would work over time. The thing is, though, I think anytime you're a platform where people just copy-paste the content they make somewhere else on yours, it's just always going to be a secondary experience. So like when you and I make shorts, we really think about it for Instagram, and then we just cross-post on TikTok, cross-post on YouTube shorts. Like We care about YouTube for the long form, but like the shorts, I don't give a shit how they do. And so I think if TikTok becomes the horizontal YouTube clone, people are just going to make their YouTube videos and just cross post them on TikTok and not care about the audience and the engagement. And so it will die like a slow death from that perspective. The last thing I would say is is such a good point. That is such a good point. But yeah, finish finish the thought. Yeah. I was going to, the last thing I was going to say is like, there are two things that TikTok pioneered that were its special sauce that I think no one else figured out. One was the full screen vertical swipe carousel to basically be like next, 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 next. And the second was the for you from people you don't follow idea with the algorithm. Those were the two things. The algorithm, they can't really protect. Like we've seen Instagram, YouTube, everyone's taken that now. The swipe thing though, like a random idea from the UI, if they want to get to horizontal so that it's longer content and they could pipe in ads, what if... What if they came out with a thing where you turned your phone and then you swiped up? So it was the same pattern, right? Instead of vertical swipe up, it's horizontal swipe up where you're like still going through a carousel of YouTube. And instead of instead of 20 minute videos like YouTube, maybe the sweet spot is like five where it's long enough where they can run an ad, but it's still quick enough where you can cycle. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, but I'm just trying to think like how they protect that special sauce of the swiping, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, you're right. Sometimes you come out with with genius ideas, but like the IP is not that protectable. And so all the other platforms who already have the built-in network effects will just take it and and you're kind of like dead in the water. The point that you made that I love is it's so funny because when 
TikTok made this change. I was like, oh, this is dope. So maybe I should put more effort into my YouTube videos because now I have TikTok to also post, to also syndicate them too. So I wasn't like, oh, let me make original content for TikTok. It was like, okay, the same way that I make original content for Instagram and then re-syndicate to TikTok, it was going to be the same way. So that that is such a good point. I never look at TikTok as like my primary home, sort of my HQ. It's always like a dumping ground, almost like a testing ground. I don't really care. Um, where I've said before, I really care about my Instagram audience. That's the primary place that I'm playing right now as a as a creator. And everything else, even Twitter, threads, link, like anywhere else, I just, I don't really care. I'm just like putting yeah. stuff, you know, there, there's less, uh, uh, I guess, self-inflicted pressure. And me really wanting to move into YouTube and trying to crack long form, it's like now I have TikTok to, as a place to dump other stuff, just like a little added discovery. So that's a really interesting point. I, I don't know about the the... You know, the horror, I, I like YouTube because I'm kind of consuming it from like a bird's eye view. Like I like consuming it on the web. I like having like 30 videos in one that I can just like kind of scroll and, and, you know, see what catches my eye. I don't like like the Tinder style for yeah. YouTube. Like I would hate that if YouTube, I had to like swipe to find something interesting. So I don't, I don't know if it would, and again, this is like TikTok losing their identity. They're just trying to push into something that's just not suited, I don't think, for for their platform, for the consumer behavior that they've cultivated over the last five years. I just don't see it happening. And I don't, I haven't seen anything from TikTok besides the original algorithm that has been like super pioneering or unique or, you know, something that I've necessarily loved. Yeah. I guess the last thing that they have against Instagram and other platforms is the live discovery in their, in their TikTok lives. Like I actually wish Instagram Live worked a little differently. I wish it wasn't in the top um, where the stories are. And I wish it was just like, as you scrolled, you'd come across a live here and there. So there'd be like some discovery embedded into it. But yeah, those, those are my thoughts. I think your thoughts were super well articulated. Um, and I don't know if you want to add anything else. Like, do you have like a general strategy for TikTok or do you just look at it as kind of like the... Not the really. Little, I, the little brother to... I mean... This this is the this is the funny thing about like number like number theory and the way your mind gets warped. So when I first started making content, I was just like, I want traction anywhere. Like I just want some signal anywhere to tell me that what I'm doing is right or wrong. And I started growing on TikTok first. Like I before, I mean, my Instagram was kind of growing too, but TikTok grew faster. And I kind of just viewed it like I want this the sum total number of TikTok plus Instagram followers as high as possible, so that. I have more weight to brands because I, even if it's an exact clone audience, the brands still view it as like a combined, right? So I was like, I just want them as big as possible. And then, so that at that time I was kind of thinking like, well, TikTok's bigger. So like I should make this grow faster. Then TikTok came out with the, we'll pay you 60 cents per thousand for any video over a minute. And that honestly, that was like probably the worst thing that happened to me from a content perspective because it completely warped my mind into so far as to the point where like I wouldn't make a video unless I could unless I thought I could get 60 seconds out of it or like the story would be told in 45 seconds but I'd add bullshit filler to try to get it over 60 just so I could potentially monetize if the dopamine lottery hit me like if the if the if the casino the TikTok casino worked and it's like it completely shifted so then at that from that phase all I cared about was TikTok because I was like I want Instagram to grow, but I'm getting paid nothing versus these. Like if I pull the slot machine, I can make two grand on a viral video. Like that's pretty dope. So, et cetera. Then TikTok completely changed the algorithm. None of my videos worked anymore. All they cared about was pushing TikTok shop. And at, as soon as that happened, I was like, well, I don't give a shit about TikTok anymore. Like they they completely shifted away from the type of stuff that I make. And so now I only care about Instagram. So it, it's just a funny, like 
it's a funny uh, rehashing the trajectory of the way I was thinking about what I was valuing at that time. Now I realize that the followers don't really matter. The sum total numbers don't matter except to brands. They still do if you're going to go to a brand and you want to like add them together. But at the end of the day, like if I'm a brand marketer, all I'm doing is looking at your the average of your last 10 videos. And yeah. on TikTok, if I had one that went 2 million and the rest were like 5,000 views, as a brand marketer, I'm not putting a lot of stock in those 200,000 followers. Too much on of a crapshoot. Exactly. So from that perspective, I really don't care about TikTok anymore. Like I've come full circle now back to, I think where you're at, which is like, I'll cross post on TikTok. I don't even really check it. I don't, there's no conversion to the link. The comments are trash. Like I, I really don't, it, it has become like a, uh, kind of like a trash experience completely 360 for the creator. And I don't even really view videos on there anymore either. So me neither. Yeah. I mean, and culturally, I just don't think it's as relevant. I, I will yeah. say one thing about TikTok, and I have a personal example to this as well. It's like they still have such a good search mechanism, whereas Instagram search is trash. Like I can't yeah. search for like any anything relevant. I, um, TikTok search is huge, and I have one interesting example here. I don't know. I don't know how I'd personally leverage it. I don't think it fits into my content style. But if you're somebody who's uh, who can really you know extract value from the search mechanics, I think this is important. But I made a video like five months ago that sort of flopped and it was maybe three months ago and it was a video about Mona Lisa the heist this is like so outside of like the type of videos I usually do but I was like trying to test a, a storytelling editing mechanic and it didn't do really well kind of uh maybe like 15,000 views it's sort of whatever just kind of just I forgot about it and then recently there was a couple of climate activists that poured soup or something on the Mona Lisa so it was a super hot search trend on TikTok. And I noticed I was getting a lot of comments about that video when I went on TikTok one day. And it went from like 20,000 views to like 700,000 views overnight. It might even be more today, more. I, I don't know. I'd have, to, I'd have to check. This was like a couple of days ago. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting, right? Because when you search, because a lot of people use TikTok as search. If they want, oh shit, like something happened to Mona Lisa. Instead of going to Twitter or Google, they're going to like TikTok and they're searching crazy. Mona Lisa. And so my video was there at the top and, 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 it, and it got a ton of views. So I'm like, okay, that is something interesting. If you're a creator, how can you leverage the search component to TikTok? Um, that was more of a crapshoot. I made a video. I didn't, you know, I didn't know something big was going to happen with the Mona Lisa and people are going to go back to that video. But it's like, if your business, if your brand, if what you're selling, your product service offer, whatever it is, relies heavily on search, how do you leverage that on TikTok? Because the search component over there is still really valuable. So I, I, I wanted to share that in case anybody's uh, eyes and ears sort of lit up um, or any ideas, light bulbs came up. That's the most, I think the search is the most valuable asset of TikTok. Because if you think about it, any, any verticalized search experience that you don't go to Google for is extremely valuable. So like right now, content and news, you don't really go to Google for. Twitter kind of owned, Twitter was the only place you could go before. And now you've got TikTok and Twitter and like YouTube, I guess you'd say. So it's like hundred percent, it's hard to game. It's hard to figure out how to leverage that to your advantage. Like you said, because if you're going to make a video that's not timely today, it's like a crapshoot if it becomes timely tomorrow. But like if I'm Instagram and I'm advising the CEO of Instagram on product ideas, I'm telling them, yo, we got to figure out the search on Instagram. Cause if you really want like the final blow to TikTok, you already, you already replicated the content style and the algorithm to some extent is the search, right? The final blow is the search. That's a huge, that's a huge opportunity for Instagram. And I, I was also thinking a good product idea is could you build a sidecar app on top of Instagram for search? Like right now, if Instagram search sucks and that's not a priority for them, that's fine. But like 
it would be really helpful for people like us to go to Instagram, search a topic, see the top 20 videos and take those videos as source input for our videos. So like, is there a little product idea in there that you could build on top where you just add, you, you know, scrape Instagram or you pipe into the API and you just add a little AI that's designed to help you search it better. There's something there potentially. Yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to, I haven't, it's been a while since I've looked at the data points that that API offers, but I know like threads is coming up with one. I've, I've been thinking, I wonder if there's an opportunity to build on, on top of threads. Um, but yeah, TikTok search is a monster, man. I, I, I don't have the data in front of me, but you know, the younger generation, even like gen alpha, especially they, they're like, their search engine is TikTok, uh, to a certain extent. So there is an opportunity there. And I've said before, it is like the golden era of news creators. I know even you said you were like, you don't want to be a newscaster, but like, man, it's like somebody like there, that's a huge opportunity because I think like the Don Lemons, you know, Tucker Carlson, Anderson Coopers of the world, uh, they're not going to be on, on TV. They're going to, you know, do Dylan page, Dylan page is, uh, here's a prediction about Dylan page too. If he keeps going and he keeps like growing and, and, and rising as he is across all platforms, like he's probably not this cycle, but there's going to be a time where he's like a, he's like a, uh, I would, I, w- I want to say he's going to really move the needle, but he's going to be an important asset to influence elections for the younger yeah. generations. The same way that like, you know, the democratic party will like hound uh, celebrities and, you know, uh, you know, pay them uh, under the table, whatever they need in order to, to get their endorsement. Like Dylan page is probably going to be getting these like under the table deals from certain political parties uh, to really try to, cause, cause I do think he's that influential where, amongst like let's say 16 to 24 year olds or maybe even younger like 12 to 18 year olds he's he's like pretty influential and so i i do do see him getting into some controversies and stuff like let's say 2028 election dylan Um, dylan page views that's what we're gonna start calling him i feel like he just pulls so many pulls so many views it's crazy and the in the fandom the cult fandom like he's cracked it he's cracked it and so yeah like I said, tw- that, that's another prediction we'll look back to here, episode 12, weekends. 2028, Dylan Page is going to be embroiled in, like, controversy because one side is going to get him and the other side is going to hate him, and he's going to be, like, this divisive political figurehead just because he's so influential. It's pretty wild. And, and the wh- one thing I wanted to chat through here, which is on that kind of, like, newscaster idea, right? So, like, I've had a lot of internal dissension over the last couple weeks with myself of, like, Basically, like to summarize, the newscaster shit works and I'm good at it, but I don't want to be a newscaster. And the thing I want to be, I'm, I don't have the skills to be right now. And so it's like, do I abandon what's working to restart or do I just keep going with what's working and just try to build as big of a trusting audience as possible because something's working and like let the chips fall where they may later and I've, I've just gone back and forth with this and like, it's, it's honestly led to a lot of, uh, overthinking and, uh, like just, just, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but like non-action, like I'm just like paralyzed by this analysis paralysis kind of thing. And we talk about this a lot, so I don't, I don't, we don't need to make it a big segment because I, I think it's helpful to articulate the actual like emotional ups and downs in real time that we're going through, but, but I don't want to like bore people too much with it, but really like where I've landed kind of, and I'm, I want to get your take on this is, is like in my gut, it feels suboptimal to build without a direction. Like you take Pograb, for example, who we talked to yesterday, 
he has a direction to find. So everything he adds to the fire, he knows that it will either add to the direction or not. And if it does add, it's good. It's like pushing him a little bit closer. If it doesn't add, he just won't do it. Without a direction, it's very hard to decide what to do. We talked about this, I think, on the last episode. But what I what I kind of came to is like, you're not really going to materialize that direction overnight. And to kind of be paralyzed with creating while you fi- try to figure it out because you don't have it figured it out is a losing strategy. And so like instead, what I'm going to try to do is just, I'm just going to try to like lean in wherever my authenticity feels like it's going, even if that's painting me down a brand that I feel like I don't want to be 10 years from now. And I think I'm just going to let the chips fall where they fall because I was, I was reflecting on this, like looking at people like MKBHD, for example, he very much took the like tech journalist route, more or less like he's dope, but he takes the tech journalist route. He, he reviews tech, whatever. But like, I don't think he's lame. I think he's sick. Like he, he, he has a huge audience. He's very authentic to himself. He, you can tell he's very passionate about what he does. And like, he's been able to branch into, he hasn't dropped any physical products, but like he, he does like car reviews. He just bought a Porsche. Like he's kind of like bringing you into his world. It's not just the tech, like the nerdier tech reviews per se. And so I think not to say I want to be MKBHD, but like if he would have two years in been like, Hey, this is kind of working, but like, I actually just don't want to do this at all. Like I'm going to restart and do something else. that's not native to me. I don't think he would have gotten as far as he got. And I don't think he would have had the platform to do other cool things that he will do in the future. So I don't know. I don't know if this resonates with you, but like, I've just been so paralyzed the last few weeks trying to think through like, what do I do without a direction? What is my direction going to be? Why am I wasting all this effort if I don't have a direction? Like, is this even smart to go down this path? Like da, 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 da. But I actually think it's just, it's not smart to do that. And I, you just need to build Dude, do, where there's do traction. Do what's bringing in the views and then build from there. I mean, like Pograb did, if Pograb just started talking about, like even, even Pograb now, he's getting crazy views on his animations and his quotes. But then if he like plugs a podcast, it, it may not do that well. But so that's why he's got to like continue plugging in at the stuff that gets views and like slowly but surely bringing in this other stock content. I think, first of all, newscaster, I don't, I don't necessarily love that word. Yeah, I don't think term. that's what we're doing. Like, cause, cause when you're a newscaster, you're really just reading a teleprompter, somebody else's words to kind of like, uh, create sentiment based on what their agendas are. It's kind of like, you know, you're just literally a puppet. I don't think you're newscast. I think you're more thought leader. And so like, when you're a thought leader, I think that's really, really impactful. So Dylan Page, I think it works for him, but just like just him. If you're just like covering viral news, even puberty at a massive scale, now they have like 200 million followers. It's still very tough for them, just like a viral news coverer, because they can't really lean into events. And like, what's puberty event going to be about? You know, like yeah. viral news lovers, No, you know, it's so even him in conversations with him at the scale they're at is still like a little bit tricky just because they're not like totally niche down. So I think being a thought leader, even like a news cover or synthesizer in a particular niche, that is super impactful. And if that's what's like driving views into your ecosystem, I think that's what you lean into because without those views, like where do you, yeah, you know, it's, like it's if, if Pograb didn't do the stuff that got him the 1.5 million followers and just started making like obsession podcast clips, it, w- it would just not, it, it wouldn't work. So you have yeah. to, you have to lean into what works and then slowly. Uh, so if like Callaway, like the news, so you're the guy, Oh shit. Like this, this marketing thing just broke. How do they do it? I, I got to get Callaway's thoughts. Like that's some super value. And then little by little, you bring people into other elements of your world. I think MKBHD is a great example tech. And now he's doing car reviews. Now he's got his podcast. If he started bringing in like some more sports stuff, lifestyle, like his personal life, it would, it would work now. Cause just people love him for him. 
Um, yeah, yeah I, would, I wouldn't shy away from that game at all. I would actually lean harder into it. What I was thinking is like, really, if you boil down what is the direction that I'm like kind of headed, it's basically like a thought leader in content strategy and marketing more or less where it's like, yo, if anyone wants to figure out content, like talk to him because he'll just like strategy spew all over. And at first I was kind of like, oh, I don't really want to be like the content guy. Like I hate when people re- refer to me as like, this is the, this is the content guy you want to follow. But then I was thinking like, well, it could be really lucrative if I'm the content guy from a B2B perspective where like every brand thinks of me as like someone they want to talk to when they try to structure a content strategy. But then from a B2C perspective, I'm just kind of like being myself, giving away everything for free, doing like the side projects I want to do. It's almost like a beneath the surface is like a B2B, like, oh shit, this dude's super sharp with content. But above the surface, I'm like less rigid with that. And I can use the broad B2C stuff to funnel leads into the B2B. So I was starting to think like that. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. And I think what was holding me back before is I was like, ah, if I, if I imagine anyone who's like a content expert today, a lot of those people are like pretty lame and like very corporate. And I was like, I don't want to be that. Like, I want to be like dope. And I just want people to, sh- the people I respect to share the stuff I make to be like, this dude's sick. But I was, I was just thinking like, there's no reason I couldn't do both. Like, there's no reason I couldn't reimagine the way I don't know, so, someone who's whatever. These are, the, these are the conversations I have in my head. It's just like my brain is so geared towards content. I feel like I have a lot to give. Brands are starting to reach out to be like, can we just pay you per hour to like be our bounce board? And I was just holding back because I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to like be perceived that way as like this B2B thought leader, you know? So that, uh, that, that's just a, a constant battle inside. And I think if, if people are making content and they're not directionally aimed where they kind of want to be, they're probably facing something similar. Yeah. And I love conversations like this, which is why I love having them on weekends. I mean, I always go back to the develop video. And I think that was one of the more important pieces of content that, that we've seen lately where it's like, Hey, are you, are you happier making, I don't know. It's like a very personal sort of question is like, would you be happier making $5 million a year hating what you do? And it's like a grind every day, or would you be happier making 500 K a year loving what you do or, you know, a million dollars a year hating what you do or hundred thousand loving what you do, like whatever the numbers are. And it's like, I think it's just like a personal question. Everybody sort of has to ask themselves, like, what are you optimizing for? I, so I, you know, I wouldn't have the, and by the way, I just, I think it just takes time. Like we're both rushing, I think too much. Yeah, um, you are. even just said Marcus Brownlee's what 13 years in the game, the biggest creator in the world. He hasn't dropped a physical product. You know, I think he has like one collab, like the shoe or whatever. He's not rushing and he's the biggest in the world and he gets more views. And so it's like, it's, it's just, it's, uh, it's, uh, it goes back to the advice that anybody will give, whether it's Gary V Warren Buffett or Moses of the world, patience, patience. You got to have 10 years in the game before you can even start thinking about these things sometimes. And so, yeah, I, I don't know the answer. I don't, I don't know that we, we need to know the answers. I think it's just yeah. uh, something that, that you come to through, through reps, you know, through time, through patience. So a good little frame I've been thinking is kind of like, think of yourself as like different characters or like wearing different hats. So like when we make the tech news stuff, we're the, you know, we're the journalist. When you make like a cinematic piece, you're the storyteller. When you travel and make a travel vlog, you're the adventurer. Like you create these different personas for yourself and like, people are going to buy in for the umbrella name. You can be any persona you want. They'll choose to like or not like different pieces. But I think I was looking at Adrian Purse stuff and I, we reference him a lot, but I think what he's doing is dope. Cause like he, a lot of his videos are 
pretty pretty basic tutorials on how to do stuff with video, but he makes them look sick. But then he'll drop like his like Target video was very cool. Like to me, that was really cool. A cinematic story of him going to Target buying flowers. There was no like how to in that at all. That was just like him with the sushi net, this like sushi chef knife sharp being like, I'm going to cut some sushi. And then maybe the next video, he's like, yo, here's the export settings I use. And it's like very transactional tutorial based, but it's very high value. And I like the fact that he doesn't care what the mix needs to be. He just, it seems like he's just flowing with whatever he's interested in doing. And that mix is what makes him more interesting than if he was just the tutorial guy or just the film guy, you know, like, I think it's very cool that he does both. So hundred percent. I'm going to try and to I think approach the pi- it that And way. I think the pioneer here in the, in the best here is Carl Shakur. I reference him a lot, but I think he's kind of the one that pioneered this where he's like, yo, I'm a photographer, but I also like video stuff. I'm also going to hit you with a tutorial. Sometimes I just have a story from my life I'm going to share. And so like, I think, and, and I always hate saying like who was first or whatever, because usually there's like 10, like a million other people that you just don't know about who kind of like, so maybe pioneer isn't the wrong, the right word for Shakur or whatever, but he's like the first, I think, major example that I came across who's like, who who kind of that was his style. Like, I don't really have a bucket. I don't have like a category that I fall in, just like dope shit that I love. If I want to h- hit you with the tutorial, I'm going to do that. If I'm going to do a, a brand deal for Marriott, I'm going to do that. If I'm going to go on a trip and tell you about it, I'm going to do that. And so ultimately, man, I think uh, especially in the day of AI and everything becoming commoditized and like more almost like more creators and consumers now and like the supply and demand sort of tilting and, and reversing it's like personality and the uniqueness uh you know of of an individual is um i think is like the most important commodity in a way it's like the the thing that will have the longest staying power for a creator so um i saw a tweet or something about this today too where i loved where i was like you know making a piece of content that and it goes back to the famous thousand fans that I think you referenced in a, in a recent newsletter, but like making a piece of content that a hundred people love and adore is much better than making a, and that like gets a thousand views is, is probably a lot better than a, a piece of content with a million views that like 3000 people just kind of find interesting, you know? Yeah, and so just, yeah, leaning into that storytelling to the individualism, I think that's what builds brand. I think brand is the most important component to all this stuff, you know, trust. Hell yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll explore well it further. We'll explore it further. But yeah, I don't, it's yeah. hard because there's no blanket ans- answers. It's so nuanced. Uh, and it's like a lifelong sort of experiment. Yeah. It's good to have these little diary entries though on the pod of like where we're oh, at yeah, at certain points, exactly. which is sick. All right. What, what do you, what else you want to cover? I know we're at, we're at a two Maybe we, you want to, do you have a hard stop or you want to machine gun through some of these last topics? A, a little bit. I did have a, um, I'm going to that HQ, that warehouse, uh, to oh, talk nice. more about like the studio idea. Uh, and that's at three. So I, I do probably kind of have to get out of here soon, but I, I did want to ask you before we go, uh, in your latest blueprint, I think what, 26, 27, forget like what, what number 27, 27, but you talked about shredding the veil. And I thought this was the most interesting part. And, and again, I love how you have like this poetic way sometimes of, of explaining things, and I wanted you to expand here on weekends. Like, what does shredding the veil mean? Because I thought yeah. this was super interesting. So I feel like when most people create, like, if if you had a picture of a funnel, at the top of the funnel is, like, your raw thoughts. And, like, imagine there's, like, all these little balls of ideas that you have. What most people do is those, like, let's say there's 100 different thoughts. Most people put that through a filter. And that filter is, like, what would the world want? Or what is this person going to like to see? 
and they filter out a bunch and maybe like there's only 20 left at the bottom and the 20 is what they end up putting out. That filter is like what I'm calling the veil, meaning like when a, when a bride gets married, they put the veil over and it's like you can see through it, but there's like a, a translucent blocker. And I think a lot of people treat ideas and content with this veil and like the thicker the veil, the fewer authentic ideas get through. Now, I'm not saying like every idea every person has deserves to be posted or should be posted. But the point is like, I think the people who are most authentically themselves are the ones that have no veil where like they come up with an idea and it's out. Like it's a tweet, it's a, it's written, it's a video. They don't second guess who would like it. And they're just super authentic with posting that idea. And the thicker the veil, the less authentic you are. And I think the problem is when you have a really thick veil, it, it's the there's weight to it, meaning like there's weight to holding that veil up and eventually your arms are going to get tired. And when you finally do drop that veil, the, all the people that you built up an audience around who followed you for those like purified ideas, once you finally start being yourself with a broader, broader lens, people are going to be like, wait, this doesn't match what I was consuming this whole time. And so what you want to do, I think, and Pograv's really good at this. I think Casey Neistat's really good at this. Like, like you really like don't want to give a fuck. Like you just want to put out the thoughts that you have authentically. Obviously when you have an idea, you want to curate it and like mold it and try to make it dope, but you don't want to like second guess what's authentically coming from you. And so that was that, this idea of just like, it goes back to that. Like what's the only thing that I can make idea. If you come up with a thought and it's good and it's unique, you shouldn't let some filter filter it out just because you feel like someone won't like it or you're like projecting that somebody's going to think a certain way you just want to be immediately you know you want that to be a full barrier there or there to be no barrier there so that's kind of what i was meaning by it i love it and it goes back to that original which, which you kind of uh, uh kind of articulated first where it's like do the make the stuff that only you can make i think i think ultimately that's one of my favorite pieces of advice of of the last year um, and I think a framework that kind of all creators, entrepreneurs can sort of follow, like what, what is something that only you can do that really leans into your, you know, your graph of interests, passions, experiences, talents, skills, et cetera. And I think if you can find that ultra sweet spot, that's unique and signature to you that then legions of people start like copying of and, and being inspired by, that's when you kind of win, man. Like what, like whether you're a creator, whether you're an artist, whether you're a rapper, whether you're like a, a ball player, like signatures, you know, signatures that are unique to you. That's, that's always the, a winning formula. It's sick. I got to start, I got to start, um, making sure that the sections in blueprint, I like have these like, like quippy referenceable, uh, titles. I, I do. I agree. Like shred, when I wrote that shred the veil, I was like, damn, that's sick. Like the, sick, just the little yeah. framing for so, it. So by the way, that should be a short. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, like, um, you think of a, uh, a overarching idea, like the big idea, and then you synthesize and you break that down. Not only should that be a short, that should be a LinkedIn entry, like just copy and paste it in a LinkedIn or, or maybe yeah. customize it a little bit better for that should be a Twitter thing that, uh, maybe like a short thread that, so you gotta be repurposing that even yeah, though you have like a larger audience now. And uh, I think you, you congrats, you broke six K readers, um, on, on blueprint that needs to be repurposed. That should be a short, that should be a YouTube yeah. entry. Like, cause big ideas like that, what we were talking about at the beginning of the program, like the, the idea is kind of the game. And when you come up with a big idea, a big concept, repurpose that all over the place. Cause you'll be amazed at how viral that can go and how, how much that'll get referenced throughout the internet, throughout the Twitter sphere. 
uh, over time. It's like, yo, I heard this thing from, uh, from Callaway, Shred the Veil. You know, I love that. Um, so you, you shouldn't you should be bashful. You, you got to be like annoying about how often you're blah, 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 plugging that in. Upset, the Pograb obsession style, dot, 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 like every day. Um, yeah. I got to be come way up with better ideas with like that. that. Yeah, get it out there, man. Get it out there. Hammer it home. I got to be way better with that because I feel like Blueprint has like four to five pretty good ideas and like two dope ideas every single week. And I'm just basically like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just leaving them like locked. You got to be annoying about it. You got to be annoying about it. You got to be on every platform hammering those ideas home. Yeah. I'm gonna start doing that. And that the plan was to start making like, take the best idea from blueprint, turn into a short or maybe multiple, but I gotta, I gotta get that written as well on Twitter and stuff. That's very tactical advice. Like the, the repurposing I'm terrible with. So I need to, that needs to be a priority. <laughs> yeah, same here, man. So sometimes, again, it's easier to give advice that, that, than, than yeah. following your own advice, but I got to be the same way. Anytime I have a big idea, sometimes I'll put it in, I'll make a short about it, and then nowhere else on the internet is it posted, and it's just such a wasted opportunity for, for such a little time commitment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I would get very, very annoying about all of your ideas. Make sure everybody, you know, scream it from the rooftops, because um, they're great, and people need to yeah. reference them and know about them, so... Hell That'd yeah. be my advice. I appreciate that. All right, should we wrap it there? Let's or do it. Cool. All right, yeah, that we was episode wrap We got a lot of uh, great stuff to talk about. I want to talk about newsletters, uh, our you know our strategies, our emphasis on them moving forward. Ours are like a little bit different. Mine's not as exciting. It's like more like things that I find interesting around the internet, which I think is low hanging fruit. Um, but let's talk about that next episode. I want to talk about your your build alongs and. Uh, how those are going, your thoughts for the future there, but let's save them for episode uh, 13. Hell yeah. All right, if you've been listening this far, thank you so much. Make sure to subscribe. Also, if you like listening to podcasts on audio, we have it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify as well, so just look up weekends, but until next time, appreciate you guys. And leave leave your feedback. If you're watching on YouTube, definitely leave a comment. Otherwise, like uh, DM us, literally, direct. I I love hearing feedback, and uh, I think it just makes you know, helps us make the show a little more interesting and, and curated towards your likings. And, and so, uh, let us know. hundred percent. All right, dope. That's a wrap.